You're listening to the iRacers Lounge Podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Chris Perez, William Gibson, and special guest Gregory Hectus. Hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? Hey. Hey, and I think uh, Tony might jump in late, but he couldn't make the beginning. So uh, let's get started. Um, talking to uh, teammate Greg Hectus. You've been on the team with us at Tafosi for some uh, for a while now, Greg. And the first time you've been able to get on the the podcast because of your schedule. But uh, let's learn a little bit about you. How did you get your start on iRacing, or when? And you know, how did you hear about iRacing? Um, back in the day um my dad was a serious uh subscriber to like the pc gamer magazine and i happened to see uh an ad in it for iRacing so i thought i'd try the go on the website and i looked at it and i saw the you know try i think it was a trial for the month at the time so i tried it and uh kind of got hooked right from that point on and boy that was 2009 nine years ago yeah i was pretty it was pretty new then that was back when uh you got most like almost half the content with just the uh first subscription right all right cool and um tell us you know how often are you racing now and what series are you running uh i'm pretty much running the nis fixed and open i've been running thursdays Saturdays and Sundays pretty much for whatever events are on those days for the NIS just because I like the cup cars and they're basically the only thing I race on here but I'm going to start I guess I was going to help with the team too and uh, doing some of the uh, endurance races coming up here in the summer and fall yep cool yeah that'll be good to get involved with that yeah it's pretty fun uh, running with you on NIS stuff um I was just looking at your stats. I mean, they're not too bad, actually. I mean, you got a overall winning percentage in oval of 9%, 9.1%, which is higher than most. So uh, good job there. Yeah, I had, uh, back in the day when I first started, um, before I took my, I think it was a two-and-a-half-year hiatus there, I was gone for a while. Um, I was doing pretty good for probably a stretch of about two years there. Yeah, it looks like it was 2010. You got a lot of laps that year, uh, 33,000 laps that one year, and uh, boy, you were getting it done. Yeah, the, I found uh, I was racing with a group of guys, I guess, at that time, and we were just all clicking when we were racing. Some of those guys have moved on and better things now in racing. I can see them when I watch the Peak Series, and then other guys I don't aren't on here anymore. Yeah. All right. Tell us about like your hardware. What type of wheel and pedals, and uh, how many monitors? Uh, I've got a, Fan- a Fanatec uh, CSL um, Elite PS4 setup uh, going here with a Xbox hub and rim, um, and then I have the sequential shifter. Um, I guess it's a V po- or the one point five shifter and then the inverted v3 pedals um from fanatec too 
Uh, I'm only running on one monitor, which is basically a 55-inch plasma TV, and uh, I got a. I've been running some external. I guess uh, I'm running off my uh, tablet for um, that or telemetry and stuff like that. Yeah, tell us more about what are you using for the third-party software? Like, what do you have on the tablet? And I've been running, uh, using the sim racing apps uh, stuff. I've been testing out the last while. Um, I heard about the sim racing apps for you guys when you guys were on the podcast talking about the one time. And I've been using it ever since. And once I figured out how to get it on my tablet, I mounted it to the top of my wheelbase. And basically, it's coming so handy in all the races. It's probably one of the best apps to use on um, on a on a tablet especially now how did you mount it specifically because that's not an easy design uh when you put it on top of a wheelbase well actually the good thing is is the tablet that i have um has uh, a leather case that folds around it so you can stand it in the leather case so i've just basically taken some velcro and attached it to the base and it's the way it's standing just from the velcro holding it Nice. Yeah, I have an iPhone 5S on my wheelbase. <clears throat> I use for temps, oil temps, water temps, uh, and RPM gauge. And uh, I got like a piece of wire that runs through from one vent hole to another, like a co clothes hanger wire. And it kind of makes a little half circle arch and the iPhone just kind of leans against it. So it's really not much to of a design. One thing about uh, when you, you got to get creative with uh, some of the setups. Yeah. I mean, it it's perfect spot for it because it doesn't block the triple screens. It's small enough that it's out of the way. It's right where I can see it, you know, in between the the spokes of the wheel. Yeah, it's coming handy uh, just having it in front of me here, just especially, actually this week, especially at Martinsville with how many cautions are coming out and all that stuff that the dat that the sim racing apps can um, keep track of. Yeah, I'm using it just for the countdown to pit road uh, and fuel at this point. Um, what all are you using it for besides that? Uh, the one that I have it set up for has all the uh, data about um, fuel. I've been trying to figure, find the best fuel one for um, telling me how till I'm out and stuff like that. Um, and then the just I like I like the fact that it's you know integrated with telling about going down pit road and stuff like that. But it's the one I have also has a relative of how well your lap times are each time you. Uh, you do another lap so I can tell if I'm in the green or in the red from my last comparable lap or my fastest lap. Yeah, I have one other one I run that shows the uh, specifically how many laps in the run it has been, and that's been really valuable. So I actually finally got rid of iSpeed. Uh, I was using iSpeed for fuel and for the laps and slash pit, but it kept uh, messing up on me for oh, about the last year now. I would like you know, jitter out or something and it would, the numbers would reset. So I'm, I'm real happy with the sim racing apps. I need to dig into it and see if there's more things it can do. There's a lot of stuff it can do. Yeah. That's what I've been finding. I, I used iSpeed uh, 
back in probably the, last, the first times that I was on it when it first came out as a an app, a second party app I was using on an iPhone at the one time. Yeah, I don't know if it's my setup or what, but I, I've had trouble with it. Uh, okay, cool. And let's get into the final question of our interview. What's the most memorable iRacing moment you've had? Um, hard. I mean, the only thing that I can really think of now is recently is just finally becoming competitive again when I get back on here. It's, you know, I, 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 got, I got this whole setup and then I first started racing again and it's like like i was a rookie again with an a license so i was like i basically like i tanked my whole i rating just so i would actually be back down and start over again because you know at one point i was pretty high in an i rating and now i had to start over and i'm basically bringing myself up so my memorable moments are probably more recently than before because it's you know i've been a member for a long time and i don't remember much from after taking a couple years off yeah, you were above 4,000 there for a while. Um, but yeah, starting over. So I'm, I'm sure you deserve to be up there So um, from what I've seen. So uh, yeah, you'll be growing. You're in the right series to gain I-rating too. You just got to have some good runs. Uh, unlike this last weekend at Martinsville, I guess let's start talking about that. Uh, boy, I mean, what was your overall, before we talk results, I mean, what was your overall impression of Martinsville? I think the big story of the week is I've been DQ'd out. That's all I hear. I mean, I got DQ'd out. David got DQ'd out. Chris got DQ'd out. Chris Scales. I mean, that's a bunch of us on our team had that problem. Yeah, I got DQ'd out with five laps to go. Yeah, you got burned right at the end. Yeah. I, I got DQ'd in the Road to Pro race with two laps to go. Ooh, that's just, that's tough when you're in there for almost two hours and it's you know, race is almost over, and one guy makes a mistake. Hey, you have nothing to do with it, and you're out. Yeah, it's a bummer. I just, I think the biggest problem with that track is the way that um, the system reads the track because there's so much confusion under caution, and guys get so flustered. And then when they do go back to green, they're driving way over their heads. Well, I think the pace car is too fast, okay? Well, under yellow, it's 5 or 10 miles an hour too fast compared to what the pit road speed is. So there's something wrong there. And I, you know, somebody else mentioned it in one of the races, and I kind of agreed. The other problem is people don't know how to pace. I mean, when you're under caution, you've got to go. You've got to get caught up, especially at Martinsville, where you're going to lose a lap if you're towards the back of the pack. And... uh a lot of people in a lot of my races had that problem. They would pit for four and be a lap down, you know? Well, there's that. And also, it seemed like if there was a spin in one and two on the restart or just the initial start, the caution flag never came out. Yeah, I saw that too, where cars like stopped dead sideways, blocking the main groove of the track and no caution. Yeah, they need to make some adjustments on that track and everything else for that series. You know, for, not just for that series, but for all series. Well, let's talk results. Uh, NASCAR iRacing Series. Uh, I'll start out Wednesday Open. I was in Mexico. Uh, we were coming home after a four-day trip, and I planned it to leave Mexico at just the right time to be able to get home in time for the race, and I made it. 
and it ended up with 20 minutes to spare, so I had no practice at all. Um, P14, I got lapped early, um, 13th, and then spun by a lapper. Um, then I lost another lap, so I was two down. But somehow, some way, eventually I got a wave by, and then a lucky dog, and then back on the lead lap, and worked my way up to fifth. And so I was looking at a top five with 20 to go, and then I spun myself off from fifth and finished 14th. But, uh, boy, after not racing for four days while I was on a family trip, vacation, and then coming home and jumping in the car and looking at a top five uh, there at the end of the Martinsville NASCAR race, I was excited. And uh, I was pretty bummed, too, when I spun off. And uh, it's just hard to drive. I was running a modified version of our VRS set, VRS set that we had, and it, it just wasn't great. Um, I just was struggling with it. Still a pretty good finish with no practice and stuff. Oh, yeah, I'll take it considering, you know, 36-car field, you know, P14, it was a good result. That's typical for me, though. I'm usually 10th to 15th, you know. Uh, teammate Chris Scales ran that evening as well. Uh, he... Uh, finish but several laps down he, he had a i don't re- know exactly where he finished but he did finish the race it wasn't a great result though uh thursday open uh david flowers quickly dq'd out with too many incidents like within the first 40 or 50 laps um he had a horrible race i remember that uh, Greg, you ran with us there. Uh, you tell us about your race. You had a P13, but quite an eventful event. Yeah, David was in the same race I was. Um, I think it probably 20 laps in, someone spun off a two, and um, I went low to avoid it. And there's that caution cone, and if you go over top of it, it's an automatic black flag. So I got that. I I think by the time I got back on the track and going again, I was probably three or four laps down at that point um, because of the way the caution came out as the black flag. And then I was down pit road when it closed. I think I got double black flagged on that. Um, I had a really good car. I was working the setup that I had. I had probably 250 laps of testing on it um, that I had worked on and, you know, just kept bite going at it in the race. I couldn't get a, any luck because there was like 10 or 15 lap runs and then that would be it we got a long run probably between the 150 to 200 lap mark and um i was able to get past the leaders and get one lap back and then started getting some luck and then at the end of the race uh i think i got caught on pit road again and was it going closed or something and then got another black flag and i just i, I just couldn't make up any of the laps that i got down but Car was competitive. I was passing everybody on the track. I probably passed more cars than anybody else on the track, but it was a good. It was a good race. It just sucked because of black flags. Yeah, if you didn't have those, I think it would have worked out. You had speed, obviously. You were passing, like you said, everybody. Yeah, it, the more I ran that, because I ran, I ran that set set up later on in the week with a couple more modifications to it, and the longer it ran, the better it rotated in the center, and it just drove off nicer than a lot of guys. Plus that room that we were in that afternoon was really cold temperature too. So the track had so much grip. Yep. And I was also running that set um, 
which was different than the set I ran the previous day. It was uh, from our uh, anonymous donor uh, friend, and uh, I think, Greg, you made a few changes to it on top of that. But I was really happy with the set. And somehow, some way, I made top split. And there were some pros in there. I think there were four pros with black license. Uh, some big, big I rating numbers, you know, 8,000, 7,000, uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, P19, uh, f- about four laps down towards the end, uh, I had to manage temps because I had a front-end damage problem. And uh, so I was, like, right at 280 on the oil temp, and I was having to, like, clutch it or not go full throttle down the straightaway. I'd go, like, 90% throttle, and I would let off early, earlier than normal. And, and by doing that, I was able to keep that temp at 280, and I was just really watching it like a hawk and... And uh, it paid off, and I got a P19 out of it, which was pretty good for that top split. Uh, Thursday fixed, I ran uh, P15. Um, With over four minutes damage, I would slow down the straight, but I'll take that P15. I actually got DQ'd on the white flag. Uh, Some guy ran into me, and that got me my 22X, so I actually got DQ'd on the white flag, which is uh, kind of an insult. When we talked about the DQs, guys, it was crazy out there. Sometimes I felt like I couldn't avoid them. It was like all these incidents I were getting were not am I doing. And even though, you know, that sounds kind of cliche, that really was the case. There was some, even some weird uh, 4Xs for like you're running in the corner, someone just bump you in the back and just lightly touch you. They were given 4Xs for too, so it's kind of, didn't help that you're getting a 4x quickly for contact that is normal at a place like Martinsville. Yeah. Yeah, I, at one point Sunday, and I haven't talked about that one yet, but uh, I definitely had a like a ghost incident. Like, we, I wasn't even close to the guy. I was seven feet away and got a 4x. And the way I knew it was the guy called out, did someone around me just get a 4x? And I looked up and I had one. And we hadn't even touched. It was crazy. You know, I noticed that last couple of weeks when I was spotting and crewing for scales and flowers, there was a couple of times, especially at Phoenix, where people would just slightly bump the back of the car and it would jump straight to a 4X. I don't know if they changed the tolerances or what's going on. It does feel way more radical than it used to, or from what I remember. Yeah, I don't remember it being this bad last time we were at Martinsville. I really don't. Uh, Saturday morning fix, Chris Scales said, quote, ran NIS this morning, P16, DQ'd. Only nine cars finished the race. Rest of the field was DQ'd. He said, what a nightmare. Kind That's crazy. Sick. 36 cars start the race, nine finish. That's it. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah. That is horrible. Well, it's different. I mean, like I said, it hasn't been like that in previous Martinsville's. I don't think it was been that bad where, you know, 20-some cars are DQing out. That's crazy. Uh, Greg, you ran Saturday that morning, uh, P12. Yeah, and that was probably the best race I've seen all week. I think we had a, a spot in that race where it went 75, 80 lap without a caution then we had a caution and then quickly ran another 75 80 laps um the race was probably done in about an hour and a half 
Um, the top six of us were within probably two or three seconds of each other the whole race, just running around. Um, there was a late restart, um, and uh, I was restarting the top five and got turned in the corner and you know trying to gather it and straighten it out it uh went down and over that cone again on turn two and got black flag so ended you up, like that cone don't you yeah i've probably gotten more black flags from that cone than i've ever gotten but yeah it was it was a good race i the guys in that room i i find that the saturday fixed morning races are are really good quick races because the guys in there um you know, it's a different field too. With that, you know, that's probably a lot of European time zone stuff that that uh, different guys that I don't normally race against. Yeah. All right, and then Sunday open, uh, David Flowers DQ'd out, uh, and then you ran and got a P twenty, but all, you were battling with for P two right at the end. Yeah, I had uh, I had been in the, probably the top eight or so cars all day i was battling i got probably a 16x battling just alone with this one guy most of the race and i don't know what it was we couldn't stay off each other and i probably with 75 to go i was at 21x and i was just trying to stay away from people and i you know had a good pit stop with probably like the last caution and i got up to the front there and on the restart we all got away and i was hoping that nobody would get around me i was just trying to finish and one of the guys that was up front took tires and we all stayed out and uh or whatever it was but um he was running through the field and he overdrove it coming in the corner and just came up and touched my door and that was what gave me another 4x and to qual disqualify me was probably about i think it was like eight laps or seven laps to go it was uh disappointing but i knew it was competitive all week i just wished you know, the incidents didn't cost me. Yeah, I think the incident thing needs to be higher or they, they something needs to be adjusted. Because like Will was saying, the 4Xs were coming too easily, it seemed like. Um, I ran Sunday fixed. Nobody else ran. I think everyone was tired of it, losing I rating. But I ran and got DQ'd out about lap 100, not even halfway. And that was a... That was when I had a Phantom uh, 4X with that one guy we'd never touched. And and I was just involved in incidents. I was actually lucky getting through them, but I would get a 4X because of it. But my car wouldn't be damaged, and I was doing good. But, boy, yeah, I ran out of incidents, basically. Yeah, I would have liked to run that Sunday fix, but uh, I had to work for Sunday. So uh, they gave me tonight off, so at least I was able to do the podcast, so. Normally I have Sunday nights to run that race too, but um, I really wished I could have one more race this week to uh, redeem how the uh, my finishes were. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for. But uh, well, Martinsville's over, Texas next, but uh, first an off week here for Easter, um, and then we t we go to Texas. So um, let's talk about the off week as we go into it uh, tonight. We have the uh, Peak Series, uh, they're running California, uh, third race of the season, and uh, should be interesting to see if uh, Keegan Leahy can maintain the point lead. Uh, I know, uh, what's his name, uh, the other guy, oh, 
Lo- Logan Clampett, he uh, he had told me that California is his best track, and he's looking forward to hopefully a win tonight. He feels really strong about. It. I saw some of his twitters. Uh, so yeah, with no racing tonight, maybe I'll watch this for a while and see how it goes. Kind of Saying I ain't got nothing else to do. Might as well do it. Yeah, I'm gonna probably watch it too if I can, because uh, the Phoenix race was really competitive to watch. It would have been interesting to see if they would have done Martinsville or something instead of uh, uh, Auto Club Speedway this week. Well, it's just as good as watching a real NASCAR race. It is competitive. Um, but, yeah, it is fun to watch. Uh, other racing this week, I mean, I ran some hosted because I was looking for something to do and uh, found an interesting track combination somebody put up. Uh, Pontiac Solstice at Charlotte Oval. And... Uh, uh, fixed set, and uh, there was about 20 guys in there running that race. I started somewhere near the back. I actually missed qualifying and uh, ended up winning the race, P1. So I was pretty proud of that, finally getting a win. It's been a while since I've won. Um, ran some other hosted stuff. One that I just love, and I'm thinking about maybe hosting tonight for the team, is the old cup car Gen 5 at Talladega or Daytona. And it's unrestricted. And uh, if you remember, they took off the restrictor plate as we transitioned to the Gen 6 car. And I tell you what, the first lap is fine. As you're going into the second lap and you're going to turn three and the car is finally up to a certain speed, you will not make that corner unless you slow down. And we proved it over and over and over because every time we got to that point after a restart, somebody would plow into the wall and there'd be a caution. And for a lap and a half, it's like really fun racing, but then somebody would cause a caution by, so I think the trick is, is have caution free. Um, and that would be a lot of fun if you can keep it on the track. That sounds like an interesting combination. I've never even knew that they were had that on it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of an odd sensation to get yourself to break and into a corner and going into Daytona, you know, but you have to, because you get it up to about 240, 250 and you have to slow it down or you'll plow the wall. Oh, that sounds like fun. It's a blast. Yeah. I had a lot of fun doing that the other night. Uh, but yeah, so I guess, you know, with the off week, I'm probably going to run some GRC, uh, maybe some dirt. Uh, you know, street stock. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Hosted stuff I find in hosted. I've been uh, I've been already working on the Texas set for us uh, this week. Uh, did a bunch of testing this afternoon. Probably what I'll be doing, and then probably also working on a project I've been working on for the team. All right. Yeah, I can't start too early, and Texas is the next big race, so. Yeah, maybe I'll do some testing if we have some sets to test, so we'll see how it goes this week. Let's jump into topics. Will, you're up first. Yeah, so right off the bat here, we um, have a quick patch, uh, 2018 Season 2 Patch 2. Um, They adjusted a few things. They announced it on the 23rd, uh, went live on the 26th. They updated the championship point system um, in reference of heat racing. There was some glitches depending on 
say six cars made heat one, but only five cars made heat two. So they kind of adjusted that. Um, dynamic track was adjusted. Um, dust buildup via the cars aerodynamics has been adjusted. So track shouldn't get too dirty or not as dirty as they were before. And a little extra water below the dirt surfaces. So that should increase grip on dirt tracks. Uh, the issues affecting the Oculus were resolved. And there's multiple updates to the Delara IR18, um, among other changes which you could find in the forums. So just a quick little patch, nothing too crazy. Yep. Um, I think, you know, I mean, what was the big thing of the patch that they had to put it out for? I think it was the points. Because um, the points and the, the heat racing stuff were definitely screwed up, and so they had to fix it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really see too much talk about it ahead of time. But yeah, if you're getting 11 cars in a race and six of them are getting points and five of them aren't because of the way the heat structure is, that's kind of definitely takes away the fun of it. So, glad to see that's resolved. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll take the next one here. Um GRC World Championship. The good, the bad, and the ugly as they call it uh GRC uh, posted up on their website some updates about the qualifiers from week one. Um, And there were seven splits. And uh, looking at the names, guys, there was a lot of heavy hitters in there, including Mitchell DeJong, who we've talked about many times, Logan Clampett, I mentioned him a minute ago, Uh, Michael Guest as well, who's uh, super fast out there, Jake Hewlett. Um, These guys are all oval peak drivers and... uh, it looks like they're going to for their second black uh, license. Bobby Zelinski is another uh, peak driver who's uh, did well. Yeah, I think one of the things that like they mentioned is uh, Mitchell DeJong actually didn't win. I think it's the first time we've ever seen that. <laughs> yeah, he came in second to Logan Clampett, who got the whole shot at the uh, at the start. I understand. Must have had a bad day for him not to win. Right. Uh, okay, so that was uh, reported by Red Bull. And as far as what happened wrong, I mean, the events did not go off flawlessly. Uh, we had a couple teammates in the race, Chris Scales and Philip Linden. And uh, we were listening in carefully as they were running. And uh, there was some confusion about the Joker lap. And it said the Joker lap was not forced. And so my teammate uh, in their heat uh, did not take the Joker and ended up with a penalty for it. And uh, was that what you understood, uh, William? I mean, what did it graphic show? Did it say zero out of one or zero out of zero? Uh, I believe the black box showed zero out of zero. Um. So by the feature event, most people kind of figured out that you didn't need to take the Joker lap. So it really affected more the heat races and the constellations more than anything. Um, because not having to take that Joker, I mean, that's that's a huge amount of time saved at some tracks. So, um, But it looks like it just wasn't enforced. There was no... Um, it just You didn't have to take it. Um, I think it really affected the people who really pay attention. I've Imagine most people took a lap at first, not realizing it. I'm kind of glad. It looks like there was no penalties given for taking the Joker, but 
Yeah, it was kind of a... Or you just lost the time, then. Yeah, it was just a, a loss of time at that point, which is kind of odd. Um, so I feel like you would get a penalty if you took an extra Joker, because sometimes it's a pretty big advantage. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, so Tyler Hudson did post in the forums after the fact, uh, we're looking into why the Joker lap was not forced during the GRC Pro Series event. The Joker lap was displayed in the black box. It showed zero of zero Jokers needed. Some people were able to see this was at zero while others continued to make Joker laps. It appears most people figured out that no Joker lap was needed by the Constellation, where you were able to try again to get into the show. It also appears a majority of the heat took the Joker, so the penalty offset in a lot of cases. But, uh, boy, our teammate Philip Linden was upset uh, about this because he had been training for this event and was uh, excited about doing well and wasn't able to because of uh, the misunderstanding there. So he was really bummed. Uh, there was some backlash on the forums, obviously, about it. And um, it led to the next day they announced they're going to add a sixth event. There used to be five. So they're going to add another race and a second drop week. It used to be five events with one drop week. And now we're at six events with two drop weeks because of this Joker debacle. All right. And then next up uh, about this GRC stuff is we found out from Tyler Hudson in the forums, they're going to do a schedule change. Heads up. There's an issue with the Iowa track. It has come to light over the weekend, and we will be switching this week's race from Iowa to Sonoma, so please be aware. I wonder what the issue is. Well, uh, the problem with the Joker thing is they didn't configure the race to begin with. I mean, when they go and set it up and they put... How many laps is the race? How many heats are there? How many people are allowed? And and how many jokers are there is one of the questions. They just blew it. They just didn't set it correctly. And uh, Tyler, I don't have it in front of me, but he did post that they're trying to figure out a way to be able to print these settings out so they can have other people look at this. But if you recall a few weeks ago, we had a, a race not go right it was the first road to pro and it had uh, what single file restarts, some other crap wrong. Well, and at that time he promised they were going to have extra set of eyes, you know, a different person checking all these races to make sure they're programmed correctly. And well, here we are again with a big race. Uh, the first one of a big, you know, important event. And guess what happens? They don't have it configured right. All too common now. Yeah, they need a better system there. And I, I mean, he, he had admitted it as much. He said the system they use to program these races is not ideal, is what he said. So are you guys surprised with the issues, you know, the series is having so far? I mean, it's not kicked off very well. And I understand the, the Dirt Oval Pro side, from what I've read, also has had some challenges just with a bunch of wreckers going into that event and messing up other people's races. I'm not surprised by that. Doing snake splits with an open license is just kind of asking for trouble. If it was like a license and they had the same issues, I'd be like, eh, that kind of is a little odd. 
Um, cause like, how do you get the A license without knowing how to drive? But I'm not surprised. I feel like these events were really rushed. I feel like if they had more time, I wouldn't, I would expect less mistakes, but they really jumped headfirst. Like we, they announced it. They had the series up and running all within a month's time. Um, with such a new license they really, I feel like bit off more than they should have. Um, I think next year's events will run a lot smoother, be a lot better, and just make the World Championship just a much better event. I feel like this first year, it's kind of, it seems like it's off to a really rough start for sure. Yeah, they definitely rushed it out, you know, and that's probably part of the problem. Seems like that's a lot of their problem is they just rush a lot of their stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, like the cushion, the dirt cushion. There's a lot of people on the forum saying that that's been rushed out before it's ready. I mean, we've seen with multiple endurance races that, like when they released Le Mans, that the track they had issues with it at first. Is I know they do testing and stuff, and it seems like I'm always bashing eye racing, but it, it. I mean, there's just some things you can do just a little bit better. Well, I feel like. I don't, I've never had an issue with eye racing as far as like the quality of how the cars drive and how a lot of stuff works. It's all the little details and stuff that I feel like they just overlook. I feel like they do so well at so many things, but it only takes one little thing to really just mess everything up. I feel like if they would have had like the Dirt Oval Pro Series or Road to Pro, or whatever they're calling it, an A license only, that would take away. I mean, I'm sure there'd still be wrecks and people complaining. That's the nature of dirt racing. But I feel like that would have solved a lot of the issues, right? Just that one little detail alone. Um, So I feel like they do so much right that they just kind of trip up on all the little dumb things. And that's what hurts them the most. You think that maybe they're they're getting too big? Like there's too many things they're worrying at once and they've added too much too fast? Yeah. I mean, there's so, I mean, think about it. We used to just have oval and road, and now we have oval, road, and we have dirt oval, and we have dirt road, and we got this and that, and we got, you know, time trials. And How long was it before they had their first World Championship Series? I assume the... It's been service, going for a long time. But I assume the service had been up for at least a year or two before they dabbled into that. I mean, we've only had rally cars for six months, and we already have a world championship. I feel like that's just not enough time to get all those bugs worked out yet. Right. Um, They've yet to have any kind of special event or anything with those. So I'm not really too too surprised by this at all. All right, Chris, uh, take the next topic. It looks like we're getting new news about the Charlotte Roval. Now, this is going to be very interesting. Seeing NASCAR come, you know, to this, and then iRacing retweeting, you know, what is this, Kevin? I'm not even going to pronounce that last name because I He's a scanner it. boy. Yeah, he goes out and he scans changes of the Roval from their last visit. Because from when iRacing did, from what I understand, they did change a f- 
little bit of the configuration. Yeah, they removed a chicane or something. And so they went out and rescanned on March 21st, the track. And now this is how smart everybody is, okay? So they, they scanned it on March 21st. And then they had an open NASCAR test for some of the NASCAR teams to come and check it out the final product, the final decision. And Kyle Busch uh, tested on it three days later and said uh, he had some criticism for the new layout. And he thinks that they need to redo some of the corners where they transition from the uh, road course back up to the oval. He thinks the angles there for impact are too extreme. That uh, You could uh, have a problem in the corner and it would go straight up into the main oval wall and so now they might change it again is what might happen after this. I feel like, I mean, the two turns he's talking about is the the short straightaway between turns 16 and 17. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to be able to get enough speed there to really do much damage. I don't think there's nothing a tire barrier can't fix there. Um, same thing between the straightaway turn, turn 7 and 8. I mean, if you think about it, Sonoma, they're up to fourth gear going head on into a sharp U-turn, are able to get it slowed down and turned, and they're not worried about hitting the wall there. So I feel like that's Kyle Busch just showing his age. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I've ran many road course races on that infield here in iRacing, not under this configuration, but just under the iRacing configuration. And it doesn't matter what car you have, that transition coming through seven into eight onto that banking you can hear the cars just slam the pavement so i could see these cup guys bending the 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 front splitter you know tearing up essentially bending a car in half it could be very easy here i think the where that corner is in relation to coming into the corner on the banking is too too great and i need to change that a little bit there but how? I mean, you you got to run oval races there too. So, well, so do they just use more of the apron at that point, or? I, I honestly think that's the only way you're going to get you know around from slamming the splitters and bending everything is just to let them run that apron through one and two, and then gradually work up, you know, coming onto the back stretch. What I don't, I've seen this in the NASCAR heat game, and I know we mostly talk about iRacing here, but in the NASCAR heat game, they have this configuration, and that chicane on the backstretch, what's the purpose of it? It's just, you can't pass. I understand they're trying to cut down passing and stuff, but it's going to be a very, very dangerous corner. Oh, yeah, slowing down after being on the oval. Uh, for I mean, you have to go down to, like, what, 40 mile an hour or something? There's that, but there's from what if it's if it's what they've depicted in the NASCAR heat game is what they're gonna do, and i racing and what they're gonna do in real life. You can't go in there too wide. You have to be single file going into there. Kind of like Daytona, then when uh, they do the sports cars on Daytona. Yeah, and the bus stop. Yeah, similar to that. Well, but there you could get away with going in too wide. Here, you I don't think you can. They just not have like enough runoff room on the entrance, or because I know Daytona has a ton of runoff room on exit. It's so kind of. I think it's what I was seeing on YouTube was the entrance. Essentially, it was the angle you're going into the entrance is too narrow for two people. 
Okay. I feel like it's cool having it there if they could figure it out. Because I don't know if they'd want the cars to go full speed through three, four, and then have to cut off. I feel like having that slowdown point keeps them from carrying too much momentum through there. Yeah, um, especially for 15 and 16 and 17, that combo. I just want to see turns one and two, actually. I mean, iRacing, there's a lot of deaths there. So. <laughs> Hopefully we don't see no deaths in real life. But Well, my concern is we don't have to scan the track again if they change it because of what Kyle has said. Because um, that will just delay us getting it. So they got it scanned. Hopefully uh, we'll get it soon. All right, uh, Greg, you want to pick up the next topic? Uh, kind of lost here on it. That's all right. I'll take it then. NIS Open Top Split Stat Sheet put together by Matt Busa. Um, some pretty cool-looking stats from the NIS Open Top Split. Uh, includes most top fives and top tens, most incident points, percentage of race under yellow, manufacturers wins, biggest and smallest margin of victory, and average I rating needed to make top split. Um, these were very interesting um, stats to look at, and when you look for common names amongst uh, you know the best results, one name jumps out at me: a guy named Michael Guest has the most wins. He has five wins. He has the most top fives, 11 top fives, the most top tens, 12 top tens. He has most laps completed, 2,227. He also has the most starts at 15. So, uh, wow, Michael Guest is getting it done. In fact, it's funny because I remember he actually gained the most I rating during the Pro Series over the winter. And I actually ran with him in a street stock race at the Texas infield. And um, that was a really fun race. Ended up edging him out there. And I knew his name looked really familiar. But I think that's one we're going to see a lot as the future unfolds. And another neat stat, the high, uh, highest percentage of race run under yellow was Phoenix Thursday race, 36.5%. The lowest, Daytona Friday at 2%. Yeah, and you have a uh, manufacturer wins. Chevy's leading the way there with ten, um, Ford with two, and Toyota for eight. So, well, you don't want to be in a Ford. No, and <laughs> kind of opposite of real life here. And I think it's funny because we have all so much talk about the new Camaro coming to iRacing, and it looks like people are still getting it done in the SS. So I thought that was kind of a. I think the SS is the most popular though in iRacing. I could yeah, definitely it believe is. that. That in the Toyota, you don't see a lot of people out there in the Fords at all. All right, and then um, the average I rating needed to make top split. Quite a disparaging number here. Wednesday, 4416. Thursday, 2862. Friday, 4485. And Sunday, 3400. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see that number uh, go down as low as 2862. Wow. I almost wonder if there's something going on Thursday that I'm not thinking of causing a lot of these guys not want to not want to race. I don't know, but that helps me uh, made top split. Remember, I made top split on a Thursday open. 
um, because there's less people doing it, I guess. And, and so the average I rating is lower and I was able to make it. And it was interesting racing against those guys because they are really fast and really good. And it really is humbling uh, experience too. It's funny. Cause if you kind of look at the most cautions or most laps ran under yellow, it's a, it's a Thursday race. I'm at Phoenix and then Daytona had the least amount of cautions on their Friday race. So those kind of run side by side. All right, we'll take the next one. Yeah, so we got um we got some news as far as the V7 tire model and some weather news actually. So there's some discussion in the forum um about some of these topics and some i racing staffers chimed in. Uh, first one was Tony Gardner um kind of confirmed that the new V7 tire model will not be as sensitive to temperature changes um due to weather and it led a lot of people to kind of speculate that there is going to be um some weather changes coming with the day to night transition so um I the way he worded it I couldn't fully understand if he was confirming the weather change but that's what a lot of people believed so his I think what he, little... I, the way I read it was it, the tire isn't as sensitive to temperature changes. Therefore, as you go from a practice, that's one temperature, to a race, that's another. It's not going to be as big a deal as it is today. That's the way I read it. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it. Because the initial conversation was about why our practice is so much cooler than race conditions. Um, but kind of after he posted that, a lot of people were really talking about weather changing. So, um, But we also have confirmation from Steve Reese that the V7 tire model doesn't support dirt. So don't expect any kind of tire wear on the dirt side for a little while. Um, He said, uh, quoting him here, this likely won't happen until after we start to see the V7 tire appear on the pavement side. So um, he's talking like six months or a year after that. Yeah. Yeah, there was really no ETA on that at all. Yeah, he said like six months, a year, maybe more. Um, but I know about three, four months ago, they mentioned the cushion was their primary concern with tire wear second. So I don't think it'll be that far out. Um, hopefully, um, maybe some wishful thinking. But yeah, not not going to be part of the V7 tire model update. All right, Chris, you want to take the next one? Yeah. Uh, looks like a John Welch posted in the forums and I was just reading a little bit on it, uh, was asked about who he was asking about satellite radio or satellite internet and iRacing as a, you know, option for iRacing and Randy Cassidy posted that it, it, for the signal to get from him to the satellite and back to the, you know, to earth is about 240 milliseconds, which isn't really that much in the grand scheme of things, but when we're talking about racing with other people on a server, that's quite a bit. Satellite internet would be okay for online testing or off-testing, like Randy said, but it's not you know, reliable enough for racing on servers with other people around. So the latency is just too much. To successfully work with iRacing. Yeah. Right. And latency means the uh, the delay, you know, 
there's a delay from when you push enter on your keyboard to the moment you know iRacing gets it on their server across the internet and the delay is extreme when you're using satellite internet yeah so somebody doesn't have internet where they live and uh you want to use satellite it's not going to work yeah i mean you got to think it the signal's got to go th- you know from iRacing up to the satellite so wherever the servers are going up then to that satellite and then finding you at home and then sending that it's just it's it's a bad idea we've seen connection problems on the server and it's just bad yeah he said quote we won't even try to help you make it work (laughs) yeah i mean i understand some of these rural areas don't have access to internet but that's a way bigger problem than what iRacing can deal right now right I mean, DS, DSL, I mean, if you can't get good internet from your cable company, DSL's fine, but you want cable, for, or at least, you know, good speed. The internet, the satellite internet's not going to be there. Right. All right, well, what's next? So, Ricky LaDuke posted up in the forums asking, was racing better before the cushion update? And uh, we got some results. 36% of people with a total of 60 votes said yes, we should go back to it. And 64%, which 107 votes, said no, it's better now. So, um, a lot of debate in the dirt racing community as far as whether the cushion update was good or not. Um, have you guys ran it at all yet, or any thoughts on that? I haven't, but I've read some of the debate, and the debate is it's all single file around the top now, and that's the only way to get around the track, and it's ruined the racing because of that, but now the bottom doesn't work. And so that's really what a lot of people, that's what I hear a lot of people saying about it. So I haven't tried it myself, so I really can't say one way or the other, but um, I think, you know, Tyler has said they're working on it. It's a work in progress, you know. And, it, you know, he kind of indicated that they're going to have better updates to make it more better than it is now. But it sounds like it's a single file situation. You know, prior to the update, it was pretty single file around the bottom. So I feel like it's still not perfect. I feel like they need to find a good balance between having the bottom grippy and having the top set up, um, which I feel like they try to do a little bit with that dynamic track change. Yeah, they added um, more water, right? Yeah, around the bottom, which should leave it grippier longer. I feel like it's just the nature of how dirt racing is. I think the the key is is knowing when to make that transition from the bottom to the top. Um, I did a World of Outlaw late model race earlier today, and I wasn't quick at all, but there was a definitive like point in time where I was like, wow, I've lost three tenths on the bottom. I need to move up the track and instantly picked up that three tenths back. So I feel like... It's definitely better than it was. It's still not perfect. They're moving in the right direction. You just have to really be aware of, like, when do I jump to the high side and when do I keep it on the bottom? Because there is a small transition window of a lap or two. But once that top groove kind of kicks in and the bottom goes away, yeah, you're you're left you're left hanging there on the bottom. So it's I think they moved in the right direction. It's perfect, no, but definitely in the right direction. Yep. All right, next topic, uh, Martinsville's Blues. And uh, this is to highlight a forum post that this went wild. We've already talked about this 
but it's the DQ thing where we get DQ'd after 22 incidents. And I'm telling you what, 14 pages of forum post about this problem. Uh, people complaining about it, people giving ideas about what to do about it. I mean, it's a complicated problem. I almost, like I said before, I think we just need maybe a few more, maybe make it 28, maybe 30 incidents, because it's just too easy right now to get a 4X. You know, it isn't going to sound um, silly, but on the dirt side, it's kind of tough to get a 4X. I um, I did a Prolay model race last week and started sixth, went back to ninth, got in an incident where I just, everybody checked up in front of me and I couldn't see. I drove right underneath the guy, jacked his rear tires all the way off the ground, and got a 2X. Um, when it, in my opinion, that it really should have been a 4X on my part, being fully honest. Now, on the flip side, I got uh, three more 2Xs from people hitting me in the back under caution, which was kind of frustrating. But I feel like they really need to just work on the tolerances of what a 4X and what a 2X should be. Because yeah. it seems like a, two, a 4X is really, really hard to get on the dirt side, but super easy to get on the asphalt side. Yeah, um, you're right. It just needs tweaked a little bit, you know. If they do that, or if they can add the incidents, you know, to compensate. But this Martinsville did not go like previous year's Martinsville's, guys. I don't remember this being this big a problem. And we had a lot of people speak out about it. I wasn't the only one. I'm not a bad driver. I got DQ'd out more than twice this week. You know, there's something wrong. Yeah, it's... It seems like when they, whenever they last adjusted the the model for the GRCs in the dirt, that's seems to be when that problem popped up on the pavement oval side. Yeah, because there was a point in time I know when GRC came out on dirt, I never had X's. Like you could have ran rim, flip the car over fifty times, and it was zero X. Yeah. But as they increase that sensitivity, I don't run enough NIS to really notice the correlation. But I feel like there is definitely probably some relation there because they've adjusted it on cars before and stuff's messed stuff up before on iRacing, so I wouldn't be surprised. All right, Chris, next up. All right, well, looks like the other day on the 22nd, Brett Black posted in the forums, I forgot to save a log, but last night we had a server of 33 entries for most of the replay would be stuck in slow motion watching it at live or at live speed and you would look like you were watching in slow motion so he had it on live but it was in slow motion so yeah i've i've never messed enough with this replay system so i don't it's it's broken there's a lot of people who said yeah 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 i have the same problem but apparently if you start doing rewind fast forward slow motion it somehow gets stuck in slow motion and you can't get it out of it well maybe it's just something while maybe the issue is while you're looking because it it seems like i remember something about this that it's the issue while you're still in the race server that you're watching i watch replays not all the time, but every once in a while because of the Precision Racing League, people will protest or whatever, and we have to watch something. I've never had a problem when I'm not in the race server, so. 
Well, um, yeah, Daniel Garrison from uh, iRacing did pipe in. He did indicate his his take on this was there's a problem with your computer. Your computer is lagging out. You don't have enough horsepower, that kind of thing. But so many different people have the problem. Uh, he he asked for replays, and I think he got at least one replay sent to him. So they're looking into it, so we'll see what happens. So, but just be careful uh, right now if you're playing with the uh, fast, slow motion in replays because it could mess you up. Yeah, and I, I think it was the issue for the latest 24-hour race, too. So well, hopefully they get this fixed. All right, I got the next one. Uh, from a friend of the podcast, John Hammer, uh, posted up uh, on the forums and uh, amongst many others. But uh, there's a post here about iRacing baseline setups or the fixed setups are a disservice to the non-forum participant. And there's only a small percentage of the people in iRacing actually use the forums. And so if you're not on the forums or you're not listening to our podcast or other people's you don't know about the camber, you know, problems, uh, and so forth. And so the discussion is basically, you know, criticizing, you know, the iRacing fix setups that they don't have the max camber put into them because the people that are taking those sets and using them as a starting point to, to build a new set are really going to be off base, you know, completely because of the tire problem. So, uh, what do you guys think about that? I feel like that's an accurate statement. Um, but at the same time, if you are chasing setups and you are focused on this, I don't know why you wouldn't be checking the forums. Yeah, you should know I've, about it. That's true. I've, I feel like there's people like me sometimes. I'll just hop in a race, use the fixed setup, knowing I'm not going to run the best, but just out there to have a good time. I feel like the people who are really focusing and trying their best and really doing their homework... They've got to be on the farms. There's, I find it hard to believe anybody would call themselves serious about setups and being competitive on iRacing that don't look at the forums. Um, I think the only thing is it really widens the skill gap between guys like me who want to casually have fun and the ones that take it really serious. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's kind of, it's a true statement, but kind of half true in a way. I'm not too worried about it. I mean, if we get the version 7 tire in the next build, that's soon enough, okay? If it was a year from now, that might be a different story. But we can deal with it for three months, you know? It's not a big deal. Yeah, I'm going to be controversial here with this, but I think the disservice that's being done is posting some of these sets that are against it, like that have the max camber. Yeah, we've been using them, but the thing is, is... Some of these guys go in, grab these sets, and think they can drive them. The fixed set's there so that you can drive it and just be competitive, and that's why they have the fixed thing. I just feel that too many people go into those forms that do have access to the form and just grab that set and think they can drive top split. And it's it's not the way that it's designed to. Like John Hammer makes some really good sets, but I just feel that Sometimes it can be a disservice on it because, you know, some guy goes in, grabs it, and then races for the first laps with that set and thinks, you know, that's why some of these things with the incidents were happening. I'm sure that's what was happening at Martinsville and some of the stuff, too. Yeah, and this ties in with an, another topic I'm going to jump ahead to. Um, we had a 
video put up here by former teammate uh, on and podcast technical director Carlos Fonseca. Nice to hear from Carlos again. But uh, Carlos posted up basically a, a photo of or a video of him sitting in his uh, car and the front of it's bouncing up and down uh, sitting on pit road. And it looks like one of those low riders with the hydraulic shocks, you know, and they can bounce the front of their cars. That's what it looks like. It's hilarious. If you can look it up by searching uh, Carlos on YouTube, his YouTube is called Sim Racing Chewy Side. So check out that video. It's only 20 seconds, but it shows uh, exactly what these setups can do to a car. And um, the other thing that about this is Brent Wall posted up in a forums a, a photo of his Xfinity Camaro on three out of four tires. His left front is literally off the ground. Yeah, it almost looks like a UMP modified um, going through the corner there. And that's what these sets end up doing is they get the cars to be bouncing. Uh, they can make it feel funny to drive. Uh, you're on three wheels instead of four. I mean, it's nonsense. Well, that's what the fixed setup was doing this week, too, because when you go down into the corner, you could feel the inside tire losing traction every time you'd break into the corner. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't race this week, but I practiced with the fixed set a little bit, and I had a lot of struggle with, like, that left front just not gripping under braking. Um, so I'm glad I'm not the only one who noticed that. <laughs> All right, let's uh, keep moving. We're running out of time. We'll jump to hardware, software. I'll take the first one here, button boxes. Uh, we found some pretty nice-looking button boxes here, guys. It's from a website, simspeedshop.com. And uh, they have a website where you can go on there and look at the various button boxes they have for sale. Uh, $85, $85, $79.99. Uh, what do you guys think? I thought the quality here looked really good. I, they look really awesome. And you could have stuff custom made. Um, I've kind of talked to the guy there for a little bit. You could have stuff custom made. But the one he showed, or he tweeted us one that was like a full dash. Had like a real life tachometer, oil, water temp gauge. Um, on one if, side, right. And then other gauges on the other. Yeah, and if if all those gauges worked, that's way better than using your cell phone. That's that's awesome. It um, looks like an actual NASCAR old style, you know, RPM gauge. Yeah, so they seem to make some really, really nice looking stuff. Um, I'm going to get a button box here before too long and i'm definitely probably gonna pick up one of theirs yeah this is definitely on par with like Derek spears designs uh he does some really good button boxes uh from the pictures i see on their website here at sim speed shop it looks like a similar quality but a, a more affordable price i mean not a bad price for 85 bucks all right will what's next yeah, so um, another thing we had, um, Track Racers, um, they have a new wheel stand. Um, they're, they're claiming it's the world's best wheel stand on Facebook, and um, Drive Tribe had an exclusive first look at it, and it looked really nice, um, very sturdy. Um, it was a nice-looking wheel stand. Small footprint is what I thought about when I saw this. Wow, and it's a definitely a design we have not seen before. Yeah, I would say it's perfect for somebody who 
does like any kind of sim racing, especially I racing casually. In their living room, right. Yeah, something you want to fold up, put on your desk, race for a bit, set it aside, get back to work after. It's um, It looks really nice and very sturdy. They were using some uh, Fanatec pedals in the video, and it, it looks like those pedals weren't moving at all. Because um, you don't want those pedals moving. Now, to describe the design, I, I want to call it like an A-frame. Like the left and right side are like the letter A, and then there's a bar that holds it up in between them, and the steering wheel's kind of hooked to that. And then there's a pet, a platform down below to mount the pedals. And so you can unfold those le- the A legs and like pick it up and walk away with it and shove it in a closet. It's like very compact if you can like fold it up, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's perfect for like the living room sim racer. It really is. Yeah. I Did see- you see pricing or? You know, they mentioned something on pricing. Let me try to pull that up real quick. It said it's a- that. Right now, it's going for one seventy five, but when it pre order special, yeah, but when it hits retail, it'll be two fifty. So that's not bad. Not if you you know you're confined and stuff, especially by budget. A lot of people, sim racing, you know, we're all confined by budget. Everybody's confined. Well, and this can get you away from the desk, you know, and especially if you're in a living room where you're just wanting to pull it in temporarily. This is perfect. This would be perfect for younger kids and people that live with their parents or live with roommates or something. Yeah, pretty cool uh, design. So check that out. They're on Facebook at Track Racer Americas, plural. All right, uh, Chris, what do you got next? Okay. I pulled up the wrong link, sorry. I'll start this one off. Um, uh, bringatrailer.com listed a indie or a 2015 Dallara IndyCar mock-up for sale. Um, and one of the first comments was, if you could get your wheels and pedals in here, it'd be perfect for sim racing. <laughs> yeah, so when you see it, it's, it looks, well, it is an actual IndyCar. Now, I don't know if it has a, it probably doesn't have a motor in it, but um, it was put together to promote the, boston grand prix which apparently didn't happen in 2015 and it actually has that paint job the grand prix of boston on the side of it and so anyway it's for sale current bid sixty five hundred dollars which isn't a lot for an indy car you'd think and yeah and some guy was saying yeah why not turn it into a sim you know if i won the lotto today i'd definitely buy that thing um that thing just looks really cool it'd just be something cool to have in the garage um have put it in your living room yes yeah hanging on the wall man that thing is it looks like it doesn't have an uh, doesn't have a motor um but i mean it has four tires a steering wheel you could roll it around it's meant for kind of decoration purposes but i mean it's a it's a it large is an indy car yeah so yeah yeah pretty cool uh all right i'll take the next one feel vr we've been talking about them uh, we have a video now of their direct drive wheel uh, put out here <clears throat> and uh, by Sim Racing Paddock. And uh, he does a, like a review test. They send him one. He fires it up. Uh, he's got an 11-minute video of him using it. Um, it's nice to see an actual video now to go with the pictures we've seen about uh, with actual equipment that actually works. So uh, we've been kind of concerned is this a real company or not? And they certainly have something that's working. 
Yeah, they're getting close to their Kickstarter starting up here pretty soon. Um, but it, it looked really nice, actually. I watched a little bit of it, and if they get all the, like everything worked out, I think it's going to be a great alternative um, to, like, say, like a Logitech G29, but still be direct drive. It's going to be a nice middle ground wheel there. Yeah, and it's going to be probably the lowest price direct drive wheel on the market. Yeah, I think like the club sport and stuff like that from Fanatex really going to take a hit when this comes out. Because I feel like direct drive is definitely the way of the future, and this kind of eliminates some of those price hurdles. The one thing I just now noticed looking through them, though, on his video is he highlighted that the warranty, one year. And I was thinking that my Thrustmaster had a two or three year warranty on it. Yeah, so it's kind of that, a that concern. Be a little concerning for me, especially with it being a new product. But for the price, though, I would be hard not to buy it, though. I'd be mm-hmm. hesitant to get on the first batch. You know, let a let them sell a, a hundred of them and then see what the output of that is and see what people have problems with, and then to get in on the next batch. You know. Yeah, that is very true. But if I mean, if they honor their warranty, that you know stuff starts breaking within that year, you might be lucky to be able to upgrade to that next batch. Then. All right, Chris. What's next? Well, uh, this one's an interesting one. You ever, you know, we all probably don't think about it too much. Computer maintenance. And best ways of cleaning your uh, motherboard, but this uh, MSI, MSI gaming videos that uh, Jonathan Dickert shared on Facebook is showing probably not the best way I would say to clean your motherboard. <laughs> I would say uh, he has it out of his case and he's running water over it in the sink. And if you want to try that, that's all you there. <laughs> We saw this a few weeks ago with the, except it was the video cards in the sink, but now they're doing the motherboards too. I, I, I don't know if, is this really a joke or what? <laughs> yeah, it definitely has to be a joke. I, I remember they used soap and a scrubber on the graphics card. Um, I feel like they're not cleaning this thing properly now, man. They get the soap out. <laughs> well, I know you can wash some keyboards in dishwashers and you'll be fine just let them dry i still wouldn't want to try this with maybe the my motherboard i'm using now maybe if i had an old pc i didn't care about i would be willing to try it but nah, i don't know yeah i take my case apart open it up once a month get some cans of compressed air and kind of blow it all out it, it seems to do the trick <laughs> oh yeah yeah um i don't think i'll be putting my stuff in the sink all right, next topic. NVIDIA, uh, their high-definition gaming displays that are 4K with 144 hertz are expected to finally launch in April after being announced a long time ago back at CES 2017. We did cover this on the podcast back then, but uh, they're finally going to be for sale here. Um, there's going to be two of them. Uh, bearing almost identical specifications. They're going to be the Acer Predator X27 and the Asus ROG Swift PG27UQ. 
And, uh, boy, these are going to be cool. I mean, if I was getting triples, man, I'd be looking at this. I don't know how much they are, but, man, that'd be cool. 4K triples. I think I'd be living on the street if I spent that type of money. Holy moly. Yeah, I think it's saying here they're 2000 each. So that would be six grand for three of them. That doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's... You can buy cars for that price now. Well, and you got to have a video card to to run it, too. But um, they're kind of talking about the NVIDIA Titan to go with it, the Titan V. Um, but, man, I, that's something else. Like, you know, having 4K computer monitor. You know, we've had 4K televisions for some times, but now we have the 4K. And then at 144 hertz, too. Pretty, it really doesn't get better than that. You know, these things are probably going to cost 500 bucks a year and a half, two years from now. So, um, That's how that kind of works. Yeah, I think we're just kind of seeing the start of what's up to come um, in the future because this is how way technology works. But I bet you these things are just beautiful up in person. All right, Will, you got the final topic. Yeah, so actually, um, I received an email, um, this looks like you did too, Mike, um, offering special discounts for iRacing members, it looks like. Yeah, um, they sent it out to everybody. I got it. Uh, if you were on iRacing, you got an email too. Yeah, I'm actually pulling the email up right here. But yeah, no, Race Virginia, um, kind of leader of Chaos Crew in the um, Peak Series, um, they're really kind of looking ahead. They're offering special discounts for iRacing members. For, um, looks like Langley Speedway, Richmond Raceway, South Boston, Virginia International Raceway. So, really cool to kind of see them get up ahead of on it. Yeah. Nice little perk. Ten bucks off a Richmond Raceway, so, you know, mid uh, midway ticket or grandstand ticket. So, not a bad deal. All right, let's jump into final thoughts. Chris Perez, what do you got? I'm right, ready to enjoy this off week i uh, spend time maybe with the family enjoy a day off at work at least work on some stuff you know i racing maybe do some skippies some skippy all right and uh william gibson your final thoughts no i'm just glad to have you back this week mike um we missed you last week that show was a little different without you but really good to have you back and um same thing i'm looking forward to the off week here my wife and i are actually moving across country so i think next week's podcast after that i'll be kind of off for a little bit getting all that set up but yeah no i'm just glad to have you back mike and this is um a good time to have an off week all right big change you're going west coast east coast so um good luck with the move all right uh gregory hectus uh your uh, your final thoughts i'm just looking forward to the week off i'm gonna Probably try a lot of testing this week for Texas and work on the setup and, you know, probably enjoy Easter weekend with the family. Let's uh, just enjoy the week off. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. You've been with the team for a while and I've actually volunteered you to be our lead setup person. And you've done a great job with that, um, working on incoming sets that come into our team as well as tweaking them and I do appreciate your involvement there, Greg. Uh, so thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, my final thoughts, yeah. I mean, last week was uh, different, as Will said, uh, without me. 
But I think the guys did a great job, uh, you know, getting the podcast out. I mean, I've always thought this is a group effort. I actually sat down the other day and started counting in my head how many different people have hosted this iRacers Lounge podcast. And, Will, I think you're the seventh person to actually host the podcast. So congrats on that. I hope uh, there's going to be many more. I always wanted this to be a group effort. And so with it, to be able to continue without me in the presence, uh, I really do appreciate that. And the guys did a great job getting it done. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, as far as what my final thought on the on the off week, uh, I'm glad Martinville is over. I've, I've lost some eye rating overall. I had a, some finishes and I got some points, um, probably about what I expected. Um, off week, I'm kind of not looking forward to it. I'm off today and tomorrow and I would be racing NIS and I won't be, I guess. So I'll have to find something else to do. Maybe some GRC maybe some dirt street stock, maybe some hosted. I thought about running the uh, uh, A car with the unrestricted, the old A car on um, Montali and, and uh, Daytona. So maybe tonight we'll run that, but we'll see. So uh, with that, we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge Podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.